Welcome back to Get Paid for Your Pad. Today I'm covering a topic that I personally do not know much about, so I'm extremely excited to learn today. Uh, my guest is Yona Weiss. He is a cost segregation expert, and he's also the host of the Yona, uh, sorry, the Weiss Advice podcast. So, Yona, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, great. You know, you got to have that rhyming in there. That just like you got the, you know, hey for your pad, Weiss Advice. It it goes, it goes together. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's always a pleasure to have a fellow podcast host on the show. Um, so I'm excited to uh, dive into it today. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, pleased to be here. This is a topic, as you mentioned, you don't know a lot about. There are a lot of people that don't know a lot about this. Even very savvy, uh, sophisticated real estate investors and CPAs, believe it or not. So I'm excited to just kind of break it down. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited too. Could you give us a quick background of how you came to be the expert on this topic and in your podcast and everything? Sure. I'm, you know, becoming an expert in a field, it's really about in any, any field there is, you know, it's about learning from the best people out there that are already doing it before you and not trying to figure out how to you know, reinvent the wheel. Like if you want to learn to be the best violinist in the world, for example, or a musician, you don't just practice on your own. You you get a, a teacher, you apprentice by someone who is is great. And that's exactly what I did. Not that I really wanted to get into concentration. I was a teacher for many years and then got into real estate about eight years ago. Uh, but was, you know, I connected with this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate. Madison Specs is one of the divisions and they are the largest national concentration companies. Now, before, <laughs> our listeners are probably thinking, well, what? They're talking all about this concentration. Don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna tell you all about what that is. So just just hang on. But the great thing is, is that the people at the company, you know, CPAs, engineers, had been doing this for decades, and I literally was able to, because of my teaching background, I think pick up on a lot of it very quickly, and I quickly realized that like you said, very, very few people actually know what this is. And so I felt like my role essentially turned into being the cost segregation teacher, right? And I was just like, that's, I think, how I became the expert. Uh, because when you teach something, you actually understand it better. And when, you know, the more, when you have questions, you go and ask the, the real experts and quickly you become, you can become the expert as well. And so that's essentially the, uh, the path that led me there. Yeah, I, I, I love that because that's what I experienced as well. It's like if you want to get really good at something, start teaching it because like automatically you're gonna you're gonna expect a lot more from yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's a great it's a great way to learn for sure. Um, so I guess I guess we start with the very uh, logical question of like, what is cost segregation. Okay, the the question we've all been waiting for, right? It's it's a weird name for a tax deduction, right? A str tax strategy rather. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to understand what depreciation is because depreciation and, and conservation are really interchangeable. Conservation is just an advanced form of depreciation. So depreciation doesn't 
mean what like it sounds like. Okay. It's it doesn't mean something's going down in value. Nothing's going down in value. Your property is actually going up in value, most likely. But the IRS gives you a tax deduction based on the purchase price of your property called depreciation. So it's a borrowed term that says that just like things go down in value as time goes on, we're going to give you a tax deduction as if your building is going down or your property is going down in value, when in fact it may or may not be. But you get that tax write-off. So essentially, depreciation says you're able to over a 27 and a half year period, and that's a pretty arbitrary number, um, for residential properties or multifamily, you're able to literally write off the entire value of your property besides for land. Land itself does not have a lot of, does not have value. So you're always going to have to allocate a certain amount from your purchase price to that land value. And then the remainder can be spread out over that 27 and a half year period. And for commercial properties, it's over a 39 year period. Again, another arbitrary number. So that's what depreciation is. And this is a great tax deduction because you're essentially able to take uh, a tax write-off for no reason, meaning you're making money and you're able to reduce that tax liability just through this like random deduction. Interesting. I have a lot of questions. Um, okay. Number one, just to, just so we understand this clearly, imagine I buy a, a property and for just to make the numbers easy, I'm, I'm paying 2.75 million, right? Okay. There you go. Then we divide that by 27.5. That's a hundred thousand dollars. So that means for the next 27 and a half years, I can deduct $100,000 from my taxable income? Correct. That's simply put, again, we didn't allocate for land, so let's just assume land was already taken off from that. But yeah, that's a perfect example because it's a round number, $100,000 a year reduces your taxable income every single year. Wow, that's that's powerful. Um, so what if I, let's say I own 50% of a partnership that owns that 2.75 million home. Does that mean I or my personal taxes can deduct 50,000? Typically, that's the case. Whenever you have a partnership, uh, unless otherwise stipulated in your operating agreement, the depreciation is split up according to your percentage of ownership. So yes, if you own 50% of that, you'd be getting a $50,000 deduction. Mm. And what if I what if I don't deduct anything? Because let's say I don't have a lot of income for the next three years. Like, can I save up that depreciation and take it later on, or does so it have to be proportional to time? Yeah, so you can't really save it up. What what you can't? I mean, you can't save it up to take it later on. However, what you can do is, and really you're required to do, is to take that deduction. And even if you don't have income you don't lose those deductions. So it creates what's called a passive loss. And it's like an imaginary bank account on your tax return that just like those deductions sit there. And next year, if you can use them, you can tap into them next year and future years. And so they're always there until either those losses run out or you sell the property, whichever comes first, and then they're released to help to offset other other gains or other taxable income at the sale. So you, and and the important thing really to note is that you're actually, like I said, required to take that tax deduction or depreciation. Many people don't know that and think, just like you're saying, I can't use the deductions anyways. Why do I need to go through the, the effort? Well, the IRS is going to consider it as if you did take the deduction. Uh, when you sell the property, you're going to be subject to what's called depreciation recapture tax, which is a form of capital gain. And they're going to consider it and tax you on that amount as if you took that deduction, even if you didn't. So uh, so yeah, you better go ahead and, and take that deduction. Understood. And 
what, so why mm. why does this concept even exist? Like, who who came up with this? Because like it doesn't when it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like you mentioned, like a property appreciates typically, right. right? So why why did they come up with this rule? You know, I don't know the you know the history of why they came up with it. It really does exist in many countries around the world. The concept of depreciation, just taking a tax deduction. I think, and, and I'll go back to kind of referencing. Um, back and forth a few times, Tom Wheelwright's book, The Tax-Free Wealth. So if you haven't checked that out, it's an excellent book from the Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright. And he says there that the tax code is really a system of incentives. And the government is trying to incentivize people to act in certain ways and to do certain things in their businesses in, in you know with their money. And so real estate, for example, is a business, generally speaking. And they want to incentivize people to invest in real estate and to buy properties and et cetera, because that helps the economy. It helps give, you know, housing to people. And even if it's commercial properties, it helps with, you know, the economy, creating jobs, et cetera, whatnot. So that's, I think the logical reason why the government would have such a deduction doesn't make sense across the board, not necessarily all the time. And especially because it's, it's a really weird rule that it's not intrinsic to the property. It's a deduction for the property owner, which means that depreciation deduction starts over every time the property changes hands. So that 27 and a half years starts over when you buy a property. Uh, even if the property you know, was built in 1922, you can still you know, take 27 and a half years of depreciation from the day that you buy the property or place it in service. So hmm. it, it's, really, it's a really weird kind of uh, concept. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so let's go. Let's go to the cost uh, segregation part of it, right? So you mentioned anybody who owns this is anybody who owns real estate. You said residential, multifamily. Uh, you can say you spread over. You basically divide the purchase price. And I was going to ask you this too: like, who defines what that price is? Is it the price that I paid to the owner, or is it the appraised value, or? What is it it's exactly? the price that you paid. So the purchase price, okay. whatever that that value is, and there are actually certain closing costs that can be added to that. What's called the tax basis to establish what you know how much you can depreciate. But yeah, unfortunately, it does not go by the appraised value, which means that even if you buy a property for much less than uh, than what it's worth, and then get it appraised for a higher value, yes, you've built equity into that deal automatically, but you can't change the depreciation. It's already been established at the time of okay. closing. Okay, understood. So now let's go to the cost segregation part. Yes. Essentially what that means is that instead of dividing it equally over the 27 and a half, and by the way, I wonder why is it, why did they put half a year in there? <laughs> I, I might no make it idea. more complicated than necessary. I, uh, I, I have no idea. It's, you know, I've thought about it before as well and never gotten a good answer. <laughs> uh, I wish there was somebody that would that would have these answers. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting. Um, so like so so now we're we're pulling the depreciation forward, correctly? Right. So what cost segregation means, and, and think about it like this: it's we're segregating the cost of the property into different buckets. Okay, and certain components of the property depreciate on different schedules or different lifespans. Uh, so think about it like this. It's it used to actually be called component depreciation, which makes a lot more sense, right? And that 
just means that we're taking, we're breaking down the property into its individual components and showing how certain things in the building or in the property depreciate faster. So the IRS has given they have what's called the cost recovery system. And there's a whole list of every type of property, every type of asset, um, you know, what its useful life is according to the tax code. So a majority of things in the property are always going to be in the structure. And the structural components are really the only thing that depreciate on a 27 and a half or 39 year schedule. So think about stuff like the roof, the walls, doors, windows, you know, foundation, infrastructure, stuff like that, all that depreciates at 27 and a half year. That's always going to be the majority of the value of any property. However, there are a lot of things, and sometimes it can be 20 or 30% of the total value that will go into other components, like one category is called five-year or personal property, things that depreciate over a five-year schedule. And this can include stuff like appliances, furniture, fixtures, you know, window treatments, cabinets, flooring, um, you know, countertops, closet, you know, all kinds of bookshelves, all kinds of things like that, that are non-structural, all of that depreciates over a five-year schedule. And so what we're able to do by identifying what those components are, we're now able to take the value of those components as a tax write-off over a much faster period of time, over a five-year period of time. Okay. The amazing thing is when you go back to your example, Jasper, about you know, it's $2.75 million property and you're taking $100,000 as a tax write-off every year. Well, what happens if you can take 20% of those deductions over the first five years, right? So if you're talking about, you know, 27, right? And take my calculator out over here and you take, right? That's $550,000. Instead of $100,000 a year, you're taking an extra $550,000 over this first five years. So you're basically more than doubling your tax deduction during the first five years. So pretty awesome. Uh, that's, that is the power of cost segregation by having an engineer come and break down the property into its components and then create a tax schedule that allows you to take those deductions at a faster rate. It just allows you to have more cash flow by having more tax deductions Another category of depreciation of cost segregation is what's called 15-year property. And this is another category that depreciates faster, albeit not so much faster than 27 and a half years, about half the, half the lifespan. What is included in that are land improvements. So when you're talking about uh, things like landscaping, pavement, concrete. So in a single family house, you may have a swimming pool. The concrete in that swimming pool depreciates over a 15-year period. You have fencing, a storm water drain system. Uh, again, landscaping, sidewalks, all that stuff will go on this 15-year schedule. And the reason why this is so important is because there's something called 100% bonus depreciation. Now, bonus depreciation was a rule that came about back in you know, 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, tax reform that created this law called bonus depreciation saying that once you've done a cost segregation study and have identified what those components are that depreciate over those faster five and 15 year periods, you have the option to now take a lump sum in the first year. Okay. So instead of taking that $550,000 in our example deduction over that five year period, you have the option to take 100% of those deductions in the first year. And then you lump into that the 15 year property, which again could be you know another 10% potentially, maybe more. Well, let's just keep it simple. That's another, you know, $225,000. So we're talking about a 750 or more 
$1,000 deduction for this 2.75 million, which oftentimes can end up being even more than you put down as your down payment. You're getting back as a first year tax deduction. So pretty awesome when it comes to bonus depreciation. I will say that this year, 2023, it's starting to phase out. So 100% bonus depreciation is no longer available, but we are able to take 80% bonus depreciation this year, meaning 80% of those accelerated deductions we can take in the first year. The remaining 20% will still be over those five and 15 year relatively faster schedules. And then, you know, there, that's it's going to continue to phase out by 20% each year. All right. So we'll be back. We had some technical issues here. Uh, Yona did a great job of, of keeping this uh, podcast going as, I, as my camera went off and my sound went off and my computer crashed and all sorts of things happened. Uh, so amazing job. It's one of the advantages of having a fellow podcast host on the show. Uh, but you, uh, yeah, you did a great job of like, explaining everything as I was panicking and trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Um, but I did, uh, I did manage to kind of multitask and, and listen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think you broke it down really, really nicely. Cause that was actually the, the next question that I was going to ask is like, well, you know, what's the difference between like a, a, a fridge or a couch and right. uh, the wall, right. Or the roof. And, and so you, you kind of answered those questions already, uh, which is awesome. Now, my, my next question was, what if we purchase during those 27 and a half years, right? What if we construct something new or we purchase mm-hmm. like new furniture or something like sure. that? Can we start depreciating that as well? Yeah. And it's a very common thing. So excellent question. Anytime, as I told you before, that your basis, what's called your tax basis or the depreciation amount that you can take is totally based on your purchase price. However, anytime you add more money into the property, whether that being buying new furniture, like you said, or uh, doing some renovations or constructing, you know, a new unit, you know, very common, like an ADU or something like that, that all that money spent can be also and should be depreciated as well. So it's on top, it's going to be added to your depreciation schedule separately. And the amazing thing about that is, is oftentimes, what you can do is actually write off uh, the value of the thing that you replaced, meaning let's say you get rid of a couch and you're like, okay, well, the conservation, when we did originally, we said the couch was worth, you know, $500 or whatever, right? So now I can, you know, essentially remove that $500 from my depreciation schedule. And what that does is it, uh, it does not have any problem of being, it's called a partial asset disposition. We can get into that a little later, but essentially what that does is it, does not come later on as a recapture is not added to your basis for the uh, for the sale. So that's that's an important point. I mean, it lowers your basis. And when you're replacing big things like a roof, you know, a very expensive item, oftentimes that can just be, you know, that'll still be on your depreciation schedule when it's not necessary. If you do a cost segregation, you can break down the cost of what those components are. Then you can also remove it from your depreciation schedule when you replace it. Mm. So, for example, we we just bought a hot tub for one of the units. Well, it's part of part of the renovations. But let's say let's forget about the renovation. Let's say we just buy a hot tub. It's ten thousand dollars, <laughs> right? Does that mean now we does that go into the five year or the ten year? Like, yeah, how does that you can, work? Yeah, the hot tub you can just add on to your depreciation schedule, um, and that would depreciate over a five year schedule. So that's you know that's another reason why. It's important to to know these things so you can take the proper tax write-offs. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to spend the money. But the question is, can you actually write it down? And then what's? Write it off. Well, and then you know, I'm I'm thinking, 
in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so the things that are kind of durable, mm -hmm. those are those depreciate, right? But there's kind of like a fine line sometimes too, because what, what, what about, for example, uh, mattresses? Can right. we can we depreciate those? Yeah, any type of furniture. Um, you know, it gets a little complicated when you're dealing with just like household items, but when it's real like furniture and there's things that are replaced, you know, over that longer period of time, then then certainly you can you can do that. So yeah. What about the linens? Yeah, again, linens are, are going to be more like household items, you know, like mm. cutlery and things like that. So those are not going to be depreciated. What you can, if they're a business expense, anything you spend on your business, you can take as just a write-off. Um, and typically, if it's up to a $2,500 amount, that's that's what's called the safe harbor that you're able to just simply take as a tax, a write-off. So you don't actually need to depreciate it. Right. Okay, so I guess either whatever we, we expenses or whatever we purchase for our, our Airbnbs, like we, either we can we can deduct it as an expense, or if if it's a capital expenditure, then we can depreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. Wow, this is fascinating. Um, yeah, a little. <laughs> I didn't know much of, about this. Is this something that? Uh, is a worldwide concept this cross segregation or is this a u.s thing it's a it's a u.s thing so again the the i have found and i'm, I'm not an expert in worldwide taxation um but i have heard that you know depreciation itself does exist in other countries um in many other countries this it may be called something else like in canada it's called like cost allocation or something like that um but The the concept of depreciate of cost segregation that I've never heard of in any other country. So you know, depreciating certain items at different schedules and breaking it down like that, I believe it's unique to the United States. Although you know, someone may be listening to this and correct me if I'm wrong. So you know, please do. Mm -hmm. Now let's let's talk about the practical side, right? It's mm -hmm. it's April 2024. Mm -hmm. All right, we're all filling out our schedule E's and our schedule C's and and whatnot. Filing a Texas um, is is how do we practically do this? Like, do we need to spill out a special form, or you know, do we need to hire a specialist to do it for us? Like, what, what what's the best approach? Yeah, so the it, it is something that needs to be done by a specialist. So there are companies like our company, you know, does this cost segregation thing. It's not something that most accountants even know how to do. And so because it requires an engineering component to it, and it's a very specialized area of the tax code, you really do need a specialist to be able to do it. Now, there are certain accounting firms that will have cost segregation in-house. So the very large and the big four accounting firms, they all have engineers in-house and they're doing it all on their own. But 99% of accountants cannot do this. But it is important that you discuss it with your accountant to make sure that they understand it and they are being able to apply it when you do do it. And so if let's say that I, I want to start, you know, depreciating and, and doing this cost segregation thing for, for my taxes in 2024, um, there's this thing that you mentioned called a cost segregation study. Now, what, what is that exactly? And how, do, how does that work? It's a, it, like I said, an engineering study of a property, breaking down the, the property into its components. And so what we're doing is creating this report that shows every individual component, like, you, like we said, like, you know, the furniture, the, you know, the pavement, 
the shelving, all the different things, identifying how much of that you know, square footage or unit amount in the property there is, and then uh, identifying the, the value of those components and then create a calculation to add that all back up or reverse engineer essentially this to the purchase price. Because it's something that happens. You may buy a property for $2.75 million, but it's really, you know, only worth like if you were to, to, you know, replace it and the replacement cost may only be, you know, a million dollars or maybe $5 million, you know? So there's, there's a lot of times discrepancy, but the conservation report needs to add up all of those components to equal that purchase price. And so there is a, you know, calculations that are involved in doing that. And this report creates at the end of the day, also uh, the IRS has rules, what needs to go into it. There's a whole numbering system. There's a whole nomenclature that needs to be used. You have to identify and refer back to the tax code, uh, every section in the code to, you know, all the different components and where they get that from and et cetera, et cetera. However, there's really one page, what we're doing in that whole report, that's, that's your new depreciation schedule. And so that's, essentially the number that you can take, the amount, dollar amount that you can take as your depreciation deduction and apply that to your taxes year after year. Is there a best time of the year to do this study or does it not matter? It doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it needs to be done before your tax filing for for the, the property. You know, So f- for example, right now we're holding in 2023, but there are still people that are we're you know in in the midst of getting uh, a lot of costings done for 2022 taxes who are on extension and are filing in September or October. So it still can be done at that that time. Most people like to get the cost segregation done in the first year of ownership, which means you know just to get it set up in the right way. And especially if you're planning renovations down the road, you make sure to get the cost segregation done on the original asset at the time of purchase. So it is important to get it done, bef- you know before you do those renovations and as soon as possible after closing. It's not necessary, like I said, but it is. it does help in many ways. And then once you do, so let's say I purchased this property 2.75 next, the week after I purchased, uh, purchase it, I do the, I do the study. Um, so I know my exact schedule for the next 27 right. and a half years. As long as I don't buy anything that's durable, I'll be good for the next 27 and a half years, essentially. I, I don't have to do another study again a few years later, right? Correct. Yeah. It's a one-time thing. You set it up and, and you're good to go. Unless I do start doing capital expenditures, right? If I buy new furniture, do I have to do a completely new study or can I just kind of add it to it? Right. Usually you can just add it to it and we're just going to update the the study to include those new, uh, those new expenditures. So you're not going to have to redo the whole thing. It's just kind of update. And in many cases, if it's just like small things or small purchases, you don't even need to do a cost segregation because the purpose of the cost segregation, I mean, think about it, we're segregating out these costs, all these different components, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of parts from the whole of the property purchase. But if you're just, you know, buying a hot tub, that's just a write-off. That's a line item. You know exactly what that is, what that costs. You don't need to segregate that out from anything. It's already segregated on mm-hmm. its own because it is, uh, you know, an individual cost. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it only makes sense to do a new study if you're doing like massive renovations, I guess. Correct. Exactly. Because then, then there's going to be a lot of different uh, moving parts, a lot of things going on. Mm. What's the what's the cost of, of a cost segregation study? And, and can you deduct that from your taxes? 
Yeah. So the cost of getting it done is a tax write-off and you can deduct that from your taxes like any other business expense. Um, to get it done, it varies from size and type of property. As we mentioned earlier, you can do this on single families, on multifamily, on commercial properties, you know, golf courses, right? Mobile home parks, self-storage, office, industrial, retail, you name it, any type of property. Uh, however, it it's going to be contingent on the, the size and the scope of work involved, not contingent on the tax savings. Meaning even if you buy a property for a million dollars or $10 million, the cost is probably going to be pretty much the same. Uh, but the tax benefits are obviously going to be much greater the more expensive the property is. Typically, right now we charge you know it can be anywhere between I'd say like three to ten thousand dollars. That's kind of the the general range for most types of properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what what are some things that I don't know that I don't know if that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot that we don't know. You know, we don't know. We don't know. Um, I think the most important thing to remember when you're dealing with conservation is just to have that discussion with your accountant, whoever's doing your taxes, so that they're on board with it, that they understand it. But believe it or not, there are many who are not real estate specialists. And so they may not be so aware of all the different you know, strategies that are in the tax code as, as major and as important as, as they are they sometimes get overlooked by people who are not focused on looking you know, out for your best interest. They're just kind of sometimes just punching numbers. And, uh, or as a, a accountant friend of mine says, you know, be encounters, you know, they're, they're not there to, to give you strategic advice of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, there, the other important thing is that every property is different. Okay. Every single property is unique and is different. And so the benefits are going to, you know, the, the range of benefit is going to vary. And so what's important to do is get, we always offer a free upfront feasibility analysis so we can show an estimate uh, for, you know, based on the specific property, what the potential tax savings would be. And therefore you can know ahead of time uh, before spending even a dime, what you're going to be getting by doing a conservation study. And so that's an important educational piece because you can make an informed decision. Mm. Does, um, is, does it require the conservation study? Does it require somebody to be physically at the property? Um, typically it does require somebody to be physically at the property. Who that is, is, is up for debate. <laughs> Meaning what I mean by that is, you know, over the years, we always sent our engineers physically to the property, do a site tour and, uh, you know, walk the property, take pictures, video, whatever, um, measurements. And with COVID, you know, a few years ago, we were kind of at a challenge. How can we send, we couldn't send anyone anywhere. People still needed the cost variations done. So we, we started doing a lot of them remotely just through like a video call. So someone had to be there to walk through with the engineer on the other line, but it didn't have to be the engineer uh, themselves actually going out and uh, spending the time traveling there and back, et cetera. So yes, it, it usually does require that. We've to this day, we've continued to do that, which means um, I'd say the majority of the studies we're doing right now are still being done remotely. There's some good things that came out of COVID, right? Some some new creative <laughs> you know, solutions. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in their businesses had to pivot and they had to figure out ways to keep things going and to figure out new ways to utilize technology that maybe they weren't doing it before. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, awesome. Well, this is very interesting. Um, before we wrap this up, like, is, is there anything we haven't discussed that you think would be uh, important to mention? Yeah, well, we did we did cover the bonus depreciation. I think it's a huge, huge part that a lot of people don't don't understand, don't know about. Um, 
like I said, every property is different. So if you're thinking, well, you know, I own a mobile home park. Can you do it on that? Yes. You know, I own self storage. Can you do it on that? Yes. But again, there are going to be different things. And depending on what's in the property is also going to depend on what can be depreciated faster. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into this. The probably the most, another really, really important thing to mention over here, which we didn't discuss is something called the real estate professional status. <clears throat> And the reason why this is important is because uh, cost segregation, depreciation is a great tax deduction. However, there are limitations of how you can actually use those deductions. Okay. Unfortunately, you can't just use these deductions against your W-2 to reduce your you know, full-time income unless you are what the IRS considers a real estate professional. So if you have a full-time job in real estate, you own properties, you rent them, you operate them, you manage them, you buy them, et cetera, renovate then you're considered a, a real estate professional. And there are a couple other criteria, but if you or your spouse qualify as that, then you're great. You can actually use cost segregation and these depreciation deductions, not only to offset your property, your rental income, but also to reduce any other source of income you have. Whereas if you're not a real estate professional, which is a lot of people out there, we may have jobs and we just you know own real estate or invest in real estate on the side, then you're going to be limited to use this depreciation deduction to only offset your rental or property income. Okay. And mm -hmm. so that in of itself can be great because essentially any money you're making from your properties essentially will be tax free. However, you know, it's just important to know how much of that you can use against your active income as well. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. And so how do we know if we're, if we qualify as a real estate professional? Well, have a conversation with your accountant. Um, it's essentially just a line you write on, you know, when you write your occupation, like what that will determine whether you do it. There are essentially two main criteria the IRS considers. One is that you're spending more than 50% of your working time during that year materially participating in the real estate trader business. Uh, and so what that can mean, like I said, the things I mentioned before, operating, managing, you know, buying, renovating, et cetera, brokering, even a real estate broker is considered that. And the other condition is it has to be a minimum of 750 hours a year. So you can't just, you know, not work and also get this status. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show here and uh, explaining all this stuff. Uh, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, if people are listening to this and are interested in, in, in working with you on, on this, like what's, what's the process? Well, like, like I said, we always like to run a free upfront analysis. So feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on all the social platforms. Uh, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Instagram. And you can also find me uh, at my website, yonaweiss.com or our company, which is Madison Specs. Uh, Madison, like the president, and Specs, which is S-P-E-C-S. It's an acronym, but it has a double meaning as well. And we'll run that free analysis and happy to speak with anyone. If you have any other questions, uh, it's a pretty straightforward, simple process once you know what it is. And again, going back to how we started the process, the podcast, it's all about education. It's about learning this. And just like you've, if you've listened this far, thus far in the show, you've probably learned quite a bit about cost segregation. And so too, there are so many other things out there, you know, even in real estate that, are really game changing when you just, you learn about them.
Yeah, 100%. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on. And uh, uh, to the listeners, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hope you learned as much as uh, I did. Um, I hope the technical issues we had wasn't too disruptive uh, for the listener experience. Uh, but uh, we'll uh, make sure to, to fix that for next time. So, uh, Jonah, thanks so much. And uh, to the listeners, thank you. And we'll see you next time. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.